Chattanooga up ahead Hamilton. Hamilton down the left side. Hamilton off the glass and in. What a move in oh. midair to change direction and get the ball over the bigger Williams. Whacking that thing around. Michael Dunn has checked in for Hartford. As Bryce Hamilton Ooh. launches a three on the inbounds pass and knocks it down. And the Rebels all of a sudden have a nine-point lead, 27-18. Bryce with three threes in the game. Things got tested. Out top, dribble the ball off his foot, and he loses it. Mitchell comes away with it. Mitchell shot blocked by Hamilton. Oh, again? Are they going to call goaltending on that? Did they call goaltending on that? And the official, I, I can see it, saying the ball was coming off the backboard. We'll get a replay of it as Hamilton comes in for the block. And oh, man, I don't maybe, know. I can't tell. You just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. Mike, you want to complain? Mike Grimal was in all day for Ed Graney today. You want to complain about 24-7 recruiting rankings? Oh, you want to go back? Yeah. No, not a complaint. It's just I question the how you can rank a player to the degree that they rank them. All right. So give me, give me the recruiting, the recruiting ranking of a certain UNLV player. <laughs> I was just looking at it and they have a wide receiver signed or committed. His, his rating is 0.8696. Doesn't that seem like, is it possible to get a recruit like so thoroughly rate them to the 10,000th of a decimal point? Would it make you feel better if they moved the decimal place like two spots to the right? So it was 86.96. I guess, but what makes him an, an 8696 and not an 8698? <laughs> like, what's the difference between those two ten thousandths of a point? I don't know the answer to that question, but it's very thorough. They've got to differentiate before all these, between all these three stars. So just, uh, just that, that's, that's something to think about when 24-7 ranks you as the number two Mountain West recruiting class is that you might be number two by one one millionth of a decimal point. Number two. And no one, is, no one is able to tell you what That's that right. decimal point stands for or what it's worth. Claim it. I'm sure somebody can come up with something. Claim it. That's the key here. That's all you got to do is claim it. Congratulations to Corey, by the way. He won tickets to the Golden Knights and Kings on December 23rd. Coming up later this hour, we are going to have tickets to Disney on Ice, the Press Box holiday hookup. You'll get tickets to Disney on Ice and have a shot at a 55-inch smart TV. A little bit more UNLV basketball. Do you believe Bryce Hamilton has actually changed? Last couple of games, he's getting to the rim more. Kevin Kruger benched him because he was taking too many mid-range shots. The shot selection, that's been a big topic for UNLV basketball the last couple of weeks. Last two games, Bryce Hamilton has been just nonstop, head down, going to the rim drawing a lot of help defense and he's finishing very well with the rim the last couple of games, but also kicking out two guys on the three point line when the defense has collapsed. So has he actually changed or is this just, they played Seattle and Hartford. And once they play San Diego state to open the mountain West play, it'll all revert back because he's playing a good defense. I'm completely buying in. Completely like I, I'm, buying I am, in. I am 100% on board. The Bryce Hamilton Renaissance where he just only drives to the basket and only shoots at the rim. I think that's the best version of him. At 100% is the best version of him. And I think Kruger has found a way to show him that and show him the light that, hey, like, you can keep shooting these bad shots and you can shoot 33% and you, if you think that's going to get you to the NBA, it's not. Like, that's not going to impress the scouts. But if you go to, we'll, we'll give you as many shots as you want. Just have them be our shots and the shots that we want you to take and you'll look better and we're going to play better. And I think... The benching is what probably really got his attention. 
because Otzelberger always talked about it, and we saw him restrict minutes and stuff, but I don't think we ever saw anything quite as drastic as Bryce, you're our, you are our established leading scorer. You are the man. You came back. We convinced you to come back to us for a final season, and we're going to bench you because you're not shooting the right kind of shots. Like, that's something that had to have gotten through to him. Is he capable, though, against San Diego State? Because the big problem in his career is he hasn't been able to get all the way to the rim when he's playing against really good defenses. And that's why he ends up taking so many mid-range shots because he can, he can create a shot from 12 feet away against anybody he plays, but he has struggled to get all the way to the rim against good defenses. And that's my big hesitation. Even if he wants to only take shots at the rim, it's a lot different to do it against San Diego than it has been against Hartford. Well, don't you think he's capable? But I don't think the team helps him out in that Not regard because there's always extra defenders parked in the paint when he drives. Take one, take one defender, help defender, and have them have to take two steps further out to the three-point line, and all of a sudden there's a lot more space for Bryce Hamilton. So I feel like he could do it if your other guys start making three-pointers to the point where they, oh, all of a sudden Justin Webster's on the scouting report now. You've got to stick on him a little closer. Or, hey, like, uh, Mike Nuga's on the scouting report as a shooter. Like, that's a shooter we can't leave. Or we can, you know, kind of inch away from him, but we can't completely park both feet in the paint when we're guarding him. So, like, don't you think, like, is that really a Bryce Hamilton thing? Or is that Mountain West teams know the scouting report better and they just wall it off? I think, I mean, it's both. For two years now, it's been, you've been able to just wall off the paint against Bryce Hamilton. You've been able to send help without really worrying about the three-point shooting, but it's also who Bryce Hamilton is. He loves that shot because he knows he can get that shot. He's, I mean, there was a point last year where he told us that's a shot that he he likes to take, that he can make. So I think a lot, it's both. And if UNLV can start knocking down threes, which they did, Seattle and Hartford, they shot over 40% in those two games combined, which is very, very good. If they continue to hit at an above-average rate, that might start changing. Or if it doesn't change, you just keep knocking down the threes and Bryce Hamilton racks up a bunch of assist numbers that we haven't seen him do before. But I I am curious because I, I don't think we're going to learn much. They play tomorrow and then they play next Wednesday again against San Diego. I don't think we're going to learn a whole lot in the next two games about can Bryce Hamilton do this in Mountain West play. I think we're going to learn a lot January 1st, San Diego State first conference game of the year. If I tell you that Bryce Hamilton is going to do this for 18 Mountain West games, and he's going to shoot 50%, and he's going to be this player, 20 points a game, 50% shooting, three or four assists, to open, there to open three-point shooters. How good is this? can UNLV be in the Mountain West? They're top five in that scenario. If you give if you give me, like we talked about earlier in the show, one of Mike Nuger or Donovan Williams every night being a efficient number two scorer that gives you 16, 17 while shooting well, that's a team that's probably a, a top three-ish Mountain West team, As, you know, assuming the defense doesn't fall off the face of the earth, right? They're going to be a top half defensive team. And if you have efficient Bryce Hamilton and efficient anybody else that can create a shot like Nuger Williams potentially could, yeah, that's a top three team in the Mountain West. Now, I don't think all three of those things happen. I don't know if the defense stays as good as we're expecting it to stay. I don't know that Hamilton is able to do this like we've seen and I don't know that Nuger or Williams are going to be reliable enough to do that on a regular basis, but they get all three of those things. That's a top three Mountain West team. That is preseason. Basically, Bryce Hamilton hits the ceiling. Mike Nuga hits the ceiling. The defense hits the ceiling, and you're good to go. I don't think all that happens. I think we'll see it some. I think there'll be games where we see it, 
but I don't think that happens enough for them to actually be top three in the Mountain West. Bryce Hamilton, the last three games for him, over over 50% from the field in each game. He's only done that one other time in his career, and it was that sophomore year during, like right at the beginning of his breakout under Otzelberger. How long does he keep that stretch going? How many games can he can he keep his streak above fifty percent? Two more. And then San Diego State, you think, just comes in and obliterates him? Shut down, yeah. Because I think San Diego State is going to San Diego State's probably going into that game. If Bryce Hamilton has two more games where he's at like twenty points, fifty percent from the field, right? He'd be on a stretch there of five games where he's just unbelievable. San Diego State probably walks into that game and says, Bryce Hamilton's not beating us. Bryce Hamilton is not getting layups. Bryce Hamilton is not. Bryce Hamilton can take, you know, the pull-up 15-footer, but Bryce Hamilton's not beating us. And maybe UNLV wins because he kicks it out and they shoot 45% from three and they run San Diego State out with shooting. But I have to imagine if he's that hot, San Diego State says that that guy's not beating us by just driving to the rim over and over. So, So back to the original question. Do you believe that this is the new Bryce Hamilton? Do you believe that this mentality is here to stay? Or do you think he's going to eventually crack and drift back to the mid-range and drift back to the inefficient shot selection? I think he cracks. We've seen him. He's been that player his entire career. We had, he, we, it's been talked about for multiple years now about Bryce Hamilton getting to the rim more, about Bryce Hamilton being more efficient, about Bryce Hamilton not taking the mid-range jumpers. And we haven't seen it. Like, this is the first time we've seen a a true... Bryce Hamilton's not taking the mid-range jumper. So I I don't believe it until I see him do it but, against a good team. But he's just, not only is he not taking the mid-range jumper, he's really not not right. taking the mid-range I, jumper. I, I, 100%. He, yeah. It's like dunk or layup yeah, or nothing. Uh, absolutely. Like, so is, it's not like he's just skirting around this rule just to get back in the lineup. He is really taking it right. to heart. But, and I believe that he's taking it to heart now. My big question is, he's taking it to heart. It's successful against Hartford. San Diego State, I don't think he's good enough to do it against San Diego State. So what happens when San Diego State prevents him from getting layups? Does he try to play within the flow of the offense and continue to kick it out and let other guys shoot if they're open? Or does Bryce Hamilton get to a point where, wow, we've got 18 points with two minutes to go before halftime. I better start putting up the 15-footers. Maybe. I think he's turned the corner. I think this is his arc. Like this is he's this finally is gotten over arc. he's gotten over it. This is he has turned the corner. This is the player he's gonna be. Cause here okay, here's the other part of this. And you mentioned so the idea of hey, if you want to have any shot at the NBA, you can't be the mid range shooter. You've got to take these shots to get the NBA. That to me should have been a before the season conversation with Bryce Hamilton. Like that's one of the things that sticks out to me about like Kevin Kruger and, and like what this team is, the whole shot selection thing. I feel like that should have been drilled into them before the season started. Not a, Hey, we're nine games in. We got blown out by UCLA and SMU and San Francisco. Now let's start getting to the, ring. especially for a player like Hamilton who has tested the waters in right. the NBA for two off seasons in a row now. Who is telling him to take mid-range jumper? Like, who in the NBA is saying, like, yeah, we'd like to see you go back and perfect that mid-range game, perfect those pull-up 18-footers? Like, no one in the NBA is looking for that. It's the exact opposite. So that whoever's telling him to do that is bad advice. But I think he's, to the just because of the extent and the gusto with which he's taken to this new shot selection mandate, I feel like this is different than maybe other times when it might have said, it, it may have lasted for a game or two. I feel like now we're seeing him fully embrace it. So what I think if, it's a little different. What if he showed up and it was Bill Lambeer running his NBA uh, scouting? Uh, I think drills. that's a that's a man in heaven. 
Like a guy who can just shoot unli- – he can get unlimited mid-range jumpers anytime he wants. That's a guy who's going to play for Bill Lambert. Couldn't keep him off the floor. If Bill Lambert was making out a college roster, Bryce Hamilton would be his number one pick. If Bill Lambert was an NBA guy, like an NBA coach, <laughs> Bryce Hamilton would have left two, two years ago because he would have gotten good feedback from the league. From the one he has, oh, there, there's my guy. I need one team to draft me, and it's Bill Lambert. All right. Bryce Hamilton. We'll see. Again, I don't think we learned anything. I think it's the same same guy we've seen the last three games in the next two. He's going to get to the rim because Omaha and San Diego aren't going to be good enough to stop him. So I don't think we learn a whole lot the next two games. But I do think he'll be on a good little five-game run here where we're like, wow, Bryce Hamilton's really different. And then San Diego State will be the testing ground. Coming up next, Bischoff's briefs on the Raiders and tearing down the roster. <sighs> The rules of Scrabble are simple. First, each player pretends to mix the tiles while trying to feel for the letter A. Bischoff's briefs. The game does not officially begin until one player reminds all the others that the first word scores double. That player is known as the Scrabble Jackass and is then handed the box top for any further rule clarifications. Bischoff's briefs. Players then take turns laying down words until someone does a bad job hiding the fact that they drew a blank. Bischoff's briefs. Upon seeing the blank draw, each player must make a bad joke about the tiles in their possession. Bischoff's briefs. Play continues until each turn takes longer than open heart surgery, and the game ends when one person uses the last of their letters. Even though at this point no one likes that person, they're still referred to as the winner. Bischoff's briefs. And that's how you scrabble. Before we get into Bischoff's briefs and the Raiders, I just had to order dog food because my dog Squash keeps throwing up. Mm. We have had like a month-long problem here where he's he's on a prescription food or whatever from our vet, but the company that makes it, I don't know if they stopped making it, if they have some sort of material shortage. This food has not been available to purchase in like two months now. His The second kind of food that the vet sort of told us to get gives him diarrhea just constant diarrhea so we stopped giving him that and now we're trying to find another one and the one that we've tried now he's two days in a row has thrown it up so we're ordering another food that he's had before that we don't think he's thrown up but it's an absolute nightmare sounds like a nightmare meanwhile my other dog ruby is still recovering from an eye puncture jesus yeah that one's fun yeah, and the worst part about that is she's got a dirty face because I, I cannot give her a bath, like her face gets dirty, and I it's like I can't because we, we're not supposed to like use soap to get it in her eye. I cannot get like I can give her a bath by just like dumping water on her face, which feels like I'm torturing her, but like I can't give her a bath, so she's got a dirty face and a punctured eye, complete nightmare. <laughs> That just sounds like a way to like nag a woman. Just literally, you got a dirty face and a punctured eye. You know what? Dog, he doesn't even mind that he's got a dirty face. Just dogs like that. They like smelling like, like themselves. It's like matted hair. It's because she needs a hair. She, we haven't been able to give her a haircut either because I'm like, I don't want to take her to the groomers while she's got a punctured eye. We are taking her this weekend because it's gotten ridiculous. But like her hair's too long in her face. We've tried cutting it. It looks kind of ridiculous. It's it's a nightmare. Does she have like an eye patch? No, but she needs one. Be, that'd make things a lot easier. I'm on it. You guys talk about the Raiders. I'll find you a doggy eye patch. Yeah. Do the Raiders sell one? They should. I mean, their logo is a guy 
with his eye closed and an eye patch on the other <laughs> eye. <laughs> All right. On the Raiders, here's, I think, going to be an important question in the offseason. How good is this roster? I don't know who has to answer that question. I think Mark Davis kind of has to answer that question to determine what he does as far as blowing everything up in the front office and bringing in somebody to rebuild everything, or does he think it's a good enough roster to bring in a head coach that can, hey, make a couple changes and get us in the playoffs? I'm of the belief they need to blow it up. I don't think this ro- I don't think this roster is anywhere close to a Super Bowl. This roster is probably a fringe playoff team if they hit their ceiling, right? That's what the Raiders are, and I think they should blow it up because your goal is to win a Super Bowl. So, for looking at blowing it up and sort of building for the future, the question becomes who are the building blocks of this team? Pro Football Focus had sort of their three quarters of the season, all NFL teams. Max Crosby was named to that. Uh, he and Miles Garrett were the two top edge rushers. A.J. Cole was named the punter on this team. Those are the only two Raiders named on this team. So, if we're looking at building blocks, Max Crosby's been good enough this year. He's young enough. He's going to need a new contract. But Max Crosby is certainly somebody you'd consider a building block. I think Nate Hobbs on the defensive side has played well enough as a slot corner. It's not a high-demand position, but I do think it's a young guy who's played well that you can say, yes, you want to keep him around. Trayvon Merrick at safety, he's played well enough that you say, yep, we're going to keep him around as well. The only other defensive player that I think you look at that's played really well is like Casey Hayward, and he's on a one-year contract. So defensively, I think you're looking at really three names that you'd say, okay, if we're building for the future, those are three guys that are a part of the future, Hobbs, Merrick, and Crosby. When you say building block, I, I take that to mean I something mean different. I don't mean foundational uh, star. Yeah, a building block... If it's someone that you can, I guess you want to be around, but you if you're going to build around someone, that's someone that you want to give a big contract to. Okay. Someone you'd be comfortable signing to a, like a, a top-of-the-market deal. Max Crosby is the only defensive player that fits yes. that description. I, I'm looking at more as who has been a competent or above-average NFL starter and is, you know, Casey Hayward has been, but he's, he's like, on a one-year Like contract. who doesn't need to be replaced urgently right. to make this a playoff team? Right. And so... Those are the three names that jump out to me. Crosby, Merrig, and Hobbs. But in your definition, Crosby is the only one that you really and truly build around. Offensively, they they made Colton Miller a building block. Whether or not he should be is another conversation, but they made him a building block with his contract. So Colton Miller is there. Outside of that, there's not a single running back on this team that I would put in that conversation. Hunter Renfro, uh, he's not really the star that you have to give a big contract to, but I think you're fine if Hunter Renfro, he, he, you know, he's Complimentary on the team in piece. the future. Right. You don't want him to be the guy that gets, what did he get, 12 targets against Kansas City? Like, you don't need that, but he's perfectly fine to be around. Outside of Colton Miller on the offensive line, there's really nothing. I mean, they drafted Alex Leatherwood. I guess you can, you're going to give him time, right? You're not replacing him right away, but... He didn't work out after four games at right tackle. He's been very bad as a guard as well. There's not much optimism on the offensive line. I don't think Darren Waller is. I don't think Waller is. I mean, he's a good pass catching tight end, but he's not been particularly good this season. Uh, Tight end is not that valuable of a position, and he's not really a plus when it comes to a a blocker. So Darren Waller, Great if you have him, like you can throw it to him, you can rack up a bunch of yards and stuff like that, but I don't think you consider him any sort of building block for the future. And I think he's what is it, two more years after this one, he's under contract. 
I assume at some point Waller wants a new deal. And if he's got trade value, I think you consider trading him. And then quarterback position, if you're rebuilding, Derek Carr should not be on this team. If you're saying, hey, we just need to make a few changes and we can make the playoffs, Derek Carr should be on this team. But if you're rebuilding, I think whatever you can get for Derek Carr, if you can trade him away for a second-round pick, I think you trade Derek Carr away for a second-round pick and move on with whatever you want to do with the quarterback position from there. Derek Carr falls into the same category as Colton Miller when I was doing this, which is you have them, you're willing to pay them because you're just so afraid of what, how badly you could do their replacement might be. Right. Like, you don't want to be stuck without a quarterback. You don't want to be stuck without a left tackle. So if you've got one that you feel is capable then you sign them and they are de facto a building block just because of the premium that is placed at their position. And if you're going to try to win next year, like if, if again, if Mark Davis decides new head coach, make a few changes, get us to 10, 11 wins and make the playoffs, then you keep Derek Carr around. If Mark Davis decides we're blowing the whole thing up, then you don't really care if you're bad next year. Then you can move on from Derek Carr. And I would put Colton Miller in the same category. Like, he's not a guy that if you're going to blow everything up, it's like, do we need to keep this guy and pay him like a top offensive tackle? No, you don't. The problem, though, is he's a lot less tradable than Derek Carr is. Carr's got one year left on his deal next year. It's like $19 million. That's going to be a very valuable trade piece if they blow it up. Colton Miller's got five more years after this one, and I think they've got to eat money if they were to trade him away. So... Colton Miller's going to be on this team for the next couple of years. Derek Carr, even if you're blow, even if you're blowing it up, probably shouldn't be on this team. But the whole point of this exercise here is I don't think the roster is good enough to just say, hey, make a few changes, playoff team. Because even if you do that, congratulations, you're gone in the first round as a wild card team. I guess that's good because you haven't been in 20 years. You've been once in 20 years. But to me, the whole point of this is whoever's coming in, if you do, in fact, blow it up, there's not a lot of pieces you project out three years down the road that are going to be like, oh, that guy's going to help you win a Super Bowl. It's pretty much Max Crosby, and that's it. Like, Hunter Renfro's not really going to be a big reason why you win a Super Bowl, right? Merrig and Hobbs, probably not a big reason why you win a Super Bowl. You probably need better corners and safeties around them so that they're not the best corner and safety on your team. That, I think, is the big problem for the Raiders going forward, is they... They need basically everything if you blow it up, and they need everything if you don't blow it up because they're hovering around 500, and that's just that's are you nothing. are you advocating for a complete tear down and rebuild? Because yes. I don't I don't want that. I mean, if I, I'm a fan, oh well, yeah, well, I well, like I mean, even no, I'm saying even if there are there are some fans who you know are open to that idea, but I would say this isn't the right scenario for the Raiders to go into that situation and to completely tank and tear it down and trade everyone. So some circumstances that would be called for. I don't, I just don't think that's, this is it. I'd rather see them keep Carr, Colton Miller and win Max Crosby. Those year? are the, those were the three guys I had on my list as well. And win eight games next year. Yeah. And rebuild around that, like rebuild, get a new coach in here, see what a new coach can do with them. Uh, and build that way. I don't, I, I don't want a complete teardown. I don't think, I think Carr is someone who's capable of winning. I, just, I don't want to start over. The whole roster has to be good for Carter to be capable of winning. He, it, that's true. He's one of those quarterbacks. He needs you need like stud receivers. You need a good offensive line. You need good running backs. You have to put everything around him. But if you do that, like he will be like he's he's not <laughs> trying to do that. He's not terrible as it is now. 
But he's a guy that can win if put in a good situation. You got to keep Cole. Carlton, That's right. Daniel Carlson and AJ Cole are building and blocks. Sutton well, they, Smith. They got contracts. Those are your building they got those blocks. guys locked down. They so got them locked up. Those are building blocks. Coming up next, Spencer Hall joins the show. Uh, that audio is, I believe, 22 years old. I think that's from 1999 when UNLV beat Baylor because Baylor up three refused to take a knee and fumbled, and UNLV had like a 100-yard touchdown return to beat Baylor. And as Jared said, he found audio from the last time UNLV played an important game. Uh, joining us now is Spencer Hall. You can follow him on Twitter at EDSBS. Uh, you can listen to him on the Shutdown Fullcast. Spencer, I have an important question for you. Um, well, two-part here. How many people do you live with, and do you use a dishwasher, or do you hand-wash all your dishes? Um, I live with three other people, and we use a dishwasher. If we didn't, we would just burn the house down and go to the next one until we got a bunch of dirty dishes, and then we would burn that house down, and we would repeat the cycle. <laughs> okay. So we, we had David Roth on earlier. He is uh, doesn't have a working dishwasher at the moment because one of them broke, and he hasn't gotten the other one fully replaced yet. I just live with my girlfriend. We don't use our dishwasher because we don't use many dishes. And my co-host, Mike Kramala, has never used a dishwasher in his life. Don't trust him. <laughs> I mean, I will say this, and this is for people like Mike who are dishwasher skeptic. The thing you can do is do what I do, which is you hand wash the dishes, make sure all the food's off them, get a good coat of soap on there. And then you make sure they're sterile by putting them in the dishwasher. So if you're super paranoid, that's one way to look at it. It's definitely a life hack. Mike, are you going to hand wash and then use your dishwasher? That's two things. You've given you now. I've got two, seven, two entire separate tasks now. You've made taken one thing and turned it into two things. So I'll just stick with the hand washing. I think. All right, uh, Spencer. If let's say you were an assistant coach in the NFL. How much more would the Jacksonville Jags have to pay you for you to leave your job to go work for Urban Meyer? Well, let's see. Probably going to mess up my life for a good year or two. So I'll need, I'm going to say I'm going to need a year's salary base, and then I'm going to need another year's salary for the insult. So I'll go ahead and say, um, you know, X times 1.52. So, you know, 3 mil. Give me 3 mil. I think I'm good. Um, I feel like, not that it was expected to be this bad, but we all thought that this would work. Is Urban Meyer just the the classic example of this guy needs full control that a college football coach has and an NFL coach doesn't have, and therefore he cannot work in the NFL? Yeah, it's an adjustment. I think people assume that they are the same job. They are not the same job because pro football, you're going to have to deal with adults, and college football, you exercise a great amount of control over them. College football is as much about creating um, culture in a place while also maintaining a degree of control that's going to be very different with people that you are giving paychecks to. That kind of thing and that kind of people uh, management is something that I think anyone who had seen Urban Meyer at a press conference could probably have said, hey, that, that might be an issue. That might be an issue, y'all. Like, if you look at the college coaches, we always go, okay, well, let's find the unicorn who were uniquely successful in making the transition. And you just find that they're people who really, before and among anything else, they understood psychology. They understood people and how to motivate them. Jimmy Johnson is a legit genius, and he coached at every level before taking an NFL job. And he ended up being great at it. He had one terrible season, but he ended up being fantastic at it. 
Pete Carroll changed the way he did everything and going from the pros, uh, then getting fired, then going to college, and then going back to the NFL. I think people kind of sleep on Pete because the last couple of years in Seattle have been pretty fallow, but Pete's won a national title and won a Super Bowl. That's a very, very small club. But the thing that they all have in common is the understanding of how to work with people, set expectations, when you have extremely different incentives than those people. Do you enjoy that we've gotten to a point in college football where Oklahoma and Notre Dame can get their coaches stolen from them like they're some cheap Mountain West school? Absolutely. That's thrilling. That's great. (laughs) I also enjoy knowing that the stories as they play out will be nothing like what we expect. Like, I... (laughs) I know that, that Brian Kelly will do this. He will be successful because he has been successful everywhere he has gone. I know that the minute he leaves, nobody will miss him. That is very much <laughs> like it will be. That is, that is the Brian Kelly story. Every place he leaves is like, thank you, goodbye. Don't, don't write, don't email, don't text. Um, it's not like they have, like, I talked to Bill Snyder this morning, former K-State coach, the guy I regard as the greatest college football coach of all time for what he did in Manhattan, Kansas, and getting them from 1-11 or 1-10 to 11-1 in 10 years. That is a phenomenal job. Um, that is a person who is still very much missed there and left the legacy. That's not the Brian Kelly story. Brian Kelly is going to come in. He'll get you nine or ten games. They will be consistent. They will be tough. And when it's over, there will be nothing left. Like, it's just going to – it'll be like he was never there. Um and that is, you know, that is very much, I think, what, what is going to happen at LSU. For Lincoln Riley at USC, man, I, why can't that work? I need to be told why that can't work. Because the only answer I've been given is that USC is just a place full of some, like, extremely weird boosters who like to mess around with things. And I'm like, I, Lincoln <laughs> Riley, it seems to me, is young enough that he can overcome that. Uh, do you think Spencer Rattler got confused as to which USC he's going to? You know, that's possible because I get confused sometimes, so why wouldn't Spencer Rattler? Like, that could happen. But I also think this, Shane Beamer's a good sell. If what, people want to know what's behind that, um, expectations. Your expectations of success, by the way, and pardon me, I'm like literally sitting on St. Charles Street in New Orleans right now, so there's like shrimp trucks going by, and there's a streetcar. If you hear it, they go, oh, that sounds like a New Orleans streetcar. That's because it is. Um, but But I think that... I think that when you're, when we're talking about whether somebody's going to be successful, the, the bar for success at South Carolina is pretty low. So if Spencer Rattler comes in, he doesn't have to live up to Kyler Murray. He doesn't have to live up to Baker Mayfield. He doesn't have to live up to the ghost of Jason White. He only has to live up to Steve Taney Hill and Steven Garcia. If you win eight games or nine games at South Carolina, you're a god. You're great. That combined with, um, and I will say, the very charismatic Shane Beamer. I've interviewed him. The dude is good. And I think one-on-one when he said, hey, just come here, have a great time, and rebuild your career. That's exactly what he needs. You're in New Orleans, and you told us you talked to Bill Snyder. Please tell me Bill Snyder is in New Orleans. I don't know if Bill Snyder's ever been to New Orleans. <laughs> that, that just doesn't seem like a place where he'd be because he likes to stick to schedule, and that's definitely not the MO down here. <laughs> Um, have Oklahoma fans handled this worse than you expected or exactly as you expected Oklahoma fans to handle losing their head coach? Oh, that's, that's the only show in town. And I think they handled it about as uh, well as I expected them to, which is not, 
calling him a traitor, saying that it's not a, you know, like being pretty nasty. I, you're going to be hurt. Wouldn't you be hurt? Somebody just took off from the Oklahoma gig. They don't, they hadn't had a proper coaching search since 1999. I'm a Florida fan. My heart has been charred and burned out and is a hollow wreck of what it once was due to the fact that, you know, every four or five years, we're just going to get a new one. That's how it works. And the tumult has been uh, continuous in the program for the better part of a decade plus. That is not what Oklahoma fans have. That's not in their tool set. They're not equipped for this. They're not about that life. So I, I, I get it. I understand it. You know, you forgive it. And it's also largely consequence-free because uh, you pay these coaches so you can be mean to them. And they're going to be plenty mean to them. And guess what you get returned? Seven mil a year. Congratulations. That's a pretty good deal. Uh, if you're allowed to watch one quarterback play for the rest of your life, is anybody beating Kyler Murray right now? No, 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 no. Not, not a one of them. I don't care if he wins or loses. He's absolutely incredible. I say that, like, I, I watched him last night versus Matt Stafford. And Matt Stafford was swollen bombs. He was doing amazing things, and I'd still rather watch Kyler Murray because whenever he takes off, the cartoon sound effects are real. He does sound like he, he does sound like he needs the Mr. Krabs music, which uh, my friend Vic on Twitter set to it. If you can find him, I, I retweeted it. It's amazing because it fits so well. He needs the Hanna Barbera cartoon noises running behind it. Also, he just tries to make throws that nobody else can make. And he's so much better at them because he's used to being five, whatever he is. He's used to having to make those throws because he shouldn't work, man. He really shouldn't. He was the greatest high school uh, quarterback of all time in Texas for a reason. And it's that he somehow managed to work around limitations that very few other quarterbacks have. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to give you, well, this could either be a good compliment for you or something that you don't like, but Shut down full cast podcast. Um, my girlfriend listens to it and she listens to it because she enjoys sports podcasts that don't talk about sports. That is correct. Okay. That is correct. So that, that is our, you'll that take that as a compliment. Audience, okay. Like, through and through. <laughs> I, I think when you say, Hey, you are uh, the most ADHD crippled people I have ever heard in my life. How do you get through a podcast? And I'm like, it's very simple. We start with a list of topics and then ignore it completely. So, to alienate everybody listening to our show right now, tell me what you love about One Punch Man. <laughs> I love One Punch Man because One Punch Man is an anime that is very accessible to the non-anime person, and it's very relatable. It's about a dude who doesn't look like all that, who has the power of God like in one right fist. And then it's about, well, what happens if your protagonist can literally beat anyone in the universe up? That's it. Like, that's the starting point. You know how it's going to end. So that drama's taken out of it. So in the meantime, we can just watch this guy grocery shop, have problems with his roommate, right? He has a, he has a student that he doesn't want to teach. Uh, he has uh, zero respect from his... Uh, I think it happens, like, if you were a superhero and you were better than everybody else, people you would assume go, oh, man, that guy's the best superhero. You know that's not true. That's not true at all. The way it would work was that established people who were already part of bureaucracy would be like, yeah, he's got to apply for membership. That's exactly what happens in the show. So if I can tell you, Netflix, One Punch Man, you're not an anime person. And frankly, I'm not a huge anime person. I ended up watching this with my kids, and I love it. That's my pitch on it. It's awesome. Well, he is Spencer Hall again. <laughs> what did you want to get to, Jared? You literally teased him all week as we'll talk to him about the playoff. Yeah, college football playoff, whatever. Who See, cares? That's, this, is, this is very full cast, by yeah. the way. Um, I, can, I can give you that in two sentences, right? 
I think Michigan-Georgia is close. I think Alabama-Cincy is close. I think we still get Alabama-Georgia. Fun. There you go. Spencer Hall. That's all we needed from you. Thanks, Spencer. Thanks, y'all. So, again, the podcast is Shut Down Full Cast. Uh, Also does uh, two things at Channel 6. Check that out as well. So, Spencer Hall on college football. Here we go. It's the Press Box Holiday Hookup. We have a four-pack of tickets to Disney on Ice. Plus, you'll have a chance to win a 55-inch 4K smart television. All that, 702-364-1100 is the phone number. You'll get the four-pack of tickets to Disney on Ice. It's coming January 6th through the 9th to Thomas and Mac. 702-364-1100. Caller number 11. You get Disney on Ice tickets and a chance to win a 55-inch 4K smart TV. Commissioner, less than 2% of the wagers on Sunday will be made in the state of Nevada at sportsbooks, at legal sportsbooks. Why such a stance against Las Vegas? Uh, I think we've spoken to that many, many times in the past. We uh, don't think that there should be... uh that type of gambling uh, sanctioned by law. We uh, took our position in Congress in the early 90s, and we live with the law. As you were locked in the press box. Congratulations to William. He won four pack of tickets to Disney on ice and has a chance at a 55-inch 4K smart TV. Thanks to Mike Grimala for filling in today for Ed Graney. Mike will be back on Thursday. So one more day of Mike this week. If you have loved every minute of today's show, we'll find out if Mike, did you eat both your chocolate chip cookies this morning? Almost. Almost. I threw away the last little bit oh. just, because, just because we're running out of time here. Well, I mean, what? You, you have take, a car. Yeah. I don't eat in the car while I'm driving. Okay. So I, I guess. It's, All right. it's gone. And I've, I'm blessed enough that I I won't miss that little best last bit of okay. chocolate chip cookie. I, okay. I can get another one anytime I want. So. I, all right. All right. That's fine. That's fine. Don't just, question me. Just weird. Uh, we question you I all mean, the time, Mike. What, what, what did you eat for lunch yesterday? Uh, I didn't have lunch yesterday. Okay. What did you eat I for, had for dinner, dinner yesterday? I had my chicken salad, but a, a bigger version of it with a full chicken breast cut up and then some lettuce and some you, croutons. You just didn't eat lunch. I'm trying to slim down a little bit and get into fighting shape, so... Ignore those two chocolate chip cookies <laughs> that I just devoured for breakfast. Well, I mean, it's been proven it's about caloric intake, not yeah. what you actually so eat. So, the rest, I'm also not going to eat lunch today, and I'm going to have another salad for dinner. Huh. And dry lettuce. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. What? You, think, you think that's going to work? I don't know. Like, I can't not eat. Like if you're hungry, you have to like. Well, like, like I think most people it works like yeah. you, you have to eat. But like, if I decided okay, I'm gonna lose some weight, I would be like, all right, I'm gonna eat less or eat healthier at the same time of day that I normally eat. I wouldn't just not eat till that. I can't re- like if I don't eat breakfast, I'm struggling by the time we get to the end of the show. Well, I will snack throughout the day, but it's gonna be fruit. It'll be an apple and a banana, which I, I also stocked up on. So, you know, to eat apples and bananas. Yeah, both. Not at the same time. I feel like bananas, you're all about the texture and the consistency of how it feels. I'm I'm a little surprised bananas are okay with you. No, I I really like bananas. Those are good. And they're really fast, too. I can eat one of those in two (laughs) seconds, which is good. Is that a positive? Yes, because I don't want to waste my whole day eating. Because if I'm not going to like it, you know, if it's good for me and I'm eating it just because it's good for me, I don't want to have to slave over it for (laughs) 10 minutes. Just... Let me eat it and get it over with. Never like an you apple. Like it, like, but you just said you like it. I do, but in the same way that you like an apple. You know, it's it's all right, but an apple's going to take me some time, and you've got to put some work into eating it. Why you can't do I just... feel like I can eat an apple faster than I can eat a banana? That's insane. 
A banana can is gone in like three bites. An apple, you've got to take like many individual bites, and you've got to spin it around and rotate it. It's a you've whole. You got to open the banana. Yeah. If I, I mean, handed you a banana, and we might do this the, on Thursday. Opening a banana is so simple that literally yeah, you, a monkey can do it. Yeah. it's There's like a button at the top that you literally undo it. I feel like you're overselling the speed in which you eat a banana I, versus the speed in which you can eat an apple. See, I was going to say we might wind up having to do this banana thing. I think you're goading me into like a fruit-eating race. But that, <laughs> If I wanted to goad you into something, it'd be something you've never eaten before, yeah, not something I, you just told us. Go home eat and eat a banana a and then basis. eat an apple and tell me which one takes you longer. I, I No, I, I don't disagree. The banana's going to be faster, but I think we're talking like... 20 seconds faster. <laughs> that is not true. Not like 10 minutes faster. Maybe if you're like nibbling the banana with little like baby bites, but if you take a normal size bite, there's only four or five bites in the whole thing. An apple is like 40 to 50 bites. 40 to 50? Because you, you've got to, you can't take a giant chunk yeah, out can. of an apple. The first bite of an apple is massive every time, the, and it's uh, the best bite of the apple. Maybe we're eating these in different, it's a different manner. I mean, I, the best way to eat an apple is to slice them and then eat them individually. But slices. you can't do but that, that as an, a you can't time. do that as an adult. Like for you, you can't you cut your, I have an apple slicer. I have a little thing, you just slice uh, yeah, it down. Yeah, I know, I know what they are, but. The core. What do you mean you can't do that that's as for, an adult? That's like for ages 10 and under. What are you talking? I'm getting lessons on 10 and under by Cheez-Its man over here. Hold on. The best way to eat an apple is you take some crust, you put apples on top of it, and then you bake it with like cinnamon and sugar. No, that's the way if you want to get sick, that's how you eat an apple. If you want to eat it as nature intended, you just hold it in your hand and bite into it. Did you try an apple pie again? Why do I feel like you tried an apple pie again? I did, and I got sick. I tried one on your show, and then I tried one later. That's what it was. And it made me sick. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought he tried a third apple pie. Are you against all fruit pies now? Yeah. I don't really, I don't, I've never liked fruit pastries, and I, even more so, I don't like them. Oh my God, we got to get him a Pop-Tart. Have you had a Pop-Tart? Pop-Tarts I've had. Oh, well, the one, the strawberry frosted one, which I think is the main one. But that's not I real fruit. That's not fruit. That's not real fruit. No. That's candy. That's no. like a candy jelly type thing. You, But what did it's you think pastry. of the Pop-Tart? I like Pop-Tarts. Okay. I, I can't remember the last time I had one or the last time I went out of my way to ingest one. I but. mean, there's like a little bit of filling inside and frosting on top. That's like two ingredients added to the pastry there. I, yeah, but it's like I said, it's not real fruit. It's not even... It doesn't even taste like the fruit that it's purported to be. Like their strawberry filling is not taste like strawberry it in any way. Purported to be. Strawberries it just tastes don't like taste sugar. like strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mike Kramala. What we didn't talk about your food hardly at all today. You got to be thrilled about. People that. have heard enough about that. What else have is there to they? say? We're bringing in. We're bringing in breakfasts from different fast food places. Mike, you flew to Thursday. Buffalo and ate at a Buffalo Wild Wings. I did. And it's phenomenal. Mission accomplished. It's phenomenal. And we accused you of eating chicken tenders <laughs> instead of chicken wings. <laughs> Our the reporting. Most journalism we did we've ever done. I can't wait for you to go to a new city and try their delicacy at a chicken restaurant again. It's going to be a ton of fun. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. Where are you going next? New I'm Orleans? open to suggestions. New Orleans.